Welcome back to this week's edition of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome to 2024, as weird as that is to say, but we're happy to be here with you throughout 2024 and getting back into our rhythm after kind of a chaotic December. Going to start this week looking at the college football playoff national championship, the NFL, their final week of the regular season, and then start uh, finish up with some NBA and college basketball. Maybe a little bit of a trivia game for Andrew that I'm still trying to pull together if he's uh, in the mood for it. But Darren and Andrew back on this week's show, and we're going to start here talking about Washington versus Michigan, the national championship. And I'll kind of give you first lead here, but for me, it feels like a breath of fresh air in the college football title landscape. Yeah, I had uh, predicted that Bama and Texas would be here, so uh, <laughs> I was not uh, looking to preview this game. And I'm always down for a game of trivia, but I am happy that Washington is here, maybe less happy that Michigan's here. Uh, so my rooting interest, I'll just be upfront with it. I- I'm rooting for Washington in this one. No holds barred. I'm all in on the Washington Huskies. I think it would be a great story with Michael Penix. Uh, Caitlin DeBoer, Ryan Grubb, uh, those guys. Romeo Dunze is awesome. So is McMillan and Polk. That offense that they have, it's just a juggernaut of an offense. And I love watching it. It definitely played out that way. And their, their offense was a big key against Texas. Although Texas did have a chance at the end. And that's the other thing that we can say is uh, both of those semifinal games uh, really came down to the last play on both games, which is not something that happens all the time. Usually uh, one of the two or even both of those two are complete blowouts. So it was at least fun for it to come down to the last play in both instances. Um, so you got to respect that. But I really think uh, Washington has the offense and then maybe Michigan is probably the more well-rounded team. That's kind of how I see this. I think Michigan will be favored by probably somewhere in the Vegas zone, probably four and a half, five. I haven't actually looked, but I'm guessing that's how much Michigan is favored by. Uh, I I believe I picked Michigan and Washington, so I was very happy to see this outcome. Watching Alabama lose is one of my favorite things in college football. So not only did I get the Michigan win as a very unabashed out there Michigan fan and Michigan defender. So I loved that, but also getting the double benefit of watching Nick Saban and Alabama lose. There's that say what you will about schadenfreude. That is a, that was a fulfilling moment. Washington, Texas. I didn't really care who won that one. I I was like both teams in this situation. I just think it's better for college football to get Washington in there. Somebody new two teams who have never played in the championship since we went to the college football playoff format in the 2014 season. And I was looking at at this, have the results in front of me. This is the first time since the inaugural playoff that there's no SEC team. We had a couple years of Georgia, a couple years of Alabama, LSU snuck one in there. And then if you want to add Clemson in there as well as the ACC, this is the first year since the first playoff in 2014. No SEC, no Clemson. It got very boring when those three teams, mostly Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, were dominating this whole thing. So I was just excited to have these two new teams in here, and I would have been fine with Texas making it as well. Just It feels like something new new for the very last version of this four-team playoff, and I do wonder if we would have gotten here. This is one versus two. I don't know that Washington could have sustained the rigors of a 12-game 
playoff, but I think Michigan would have been here regardless. I'm not so sure about that, and we'll get to see next year when uh, the 12-team playoff takes shape for the first time. But regardless, we have this game. Um, I don't want to dwell on it for too long, but I just think this is going to be a really good game in all Big Ten championship, if I do say so, uh, since the Pac-12 is not a thing anymore. This is an all Big Ten championship. And uh, I'll go ahead and take uh, Penix and the Huskies, and then uh, Ryan Grubb finds his way to Iowa City, hopefully, as our next offensive coordinator. Uh, so I'll I, – I, to me, I'm trying to think of all the different – who's got the edge. I think quarterback play goes to Penix. I'm a huge Penix fan. It's just so pretty. The way he throws the ball, I know lefties always look a little bit different, but to me it's just it's such a beautiful thing to watch Michael Penix throw the ball. So I'm going to go quarterback play to Washington, receivers, advantage Washington. I think running back, you have to give to Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards at Michigan. Offensive line play goes to Michigan. I think Michigan has the better secondary. Washington maybe a little bit better up front. I think that's going to be the best part here. Zach Zinter being out for Michigan hurts, but it's going to be that Washington defensive line. Braylon Trice might be the single most talented player playing in this game, the Washington defensive end. He was in Quinn Ewer's grill the entire semifinal game. I think him versus that stout Michigan offensive line, the best offensive line in the country, that'll be a great matchup. I I do have to ride with the Wolverines here, but I think it's going to be more points than we expect. Maybe like a 37-33 Michigan win is where I'm going. Yeah, give me uh, the Huskies, something like 38-21, uh, to 21, kind of a drubbing. Wow. And they're and and like you mentioned, both of those teams were in it. The Jalen Milrow is going to be scary next year. I I had not watched a lot of him this year, but he's going to run over people next year. And Michigan may have gotten a, or no, it was the other game. Washington may have gotten away with a wee bit of a pass interference on that Quinn Ewers bomb to the end zone. That felt like Washington was the far superior team. Texas was able to hang in there till the end, but felt like it was Washington's game to lose the entire way. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a fair assessment, but um, yeah, I feel like Washington's got this. Quick, uh, quick random question for you, projecting into the future. I know Washington's going to the Big Ten. They're going to have plenty of money to throw at Kalen DeBoer, but he is from South Dakota, had a great career in South Dakota at the NAIA level, multiple-time national champion coach, got on the map at Indiana as the offensive coordinator where he and Penix hooked up. Uh... There's a program not far from South Dakota that likes to churn through coaches real quick and will throw a lot of money at them. In three years, is Kalen DeBoer the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers? Uh, no. I think Kalen DeBoer is pretty much set in Washington, and I don't think that Nebraska can offer that much more money. Uh, like, Washington is coming in with the new TV deal. They'll have plenty of money this run that they've been on the past two years. They didn't quite make the playoffs last year. Uh, but this run to the national championship and the success of last year, I think their success is going to keep on going. And I think Kalen DeBoer is kind of going to be a mainstay there. The only thing I could see him leaving for is maybe a bigger job that opens up like in Ohio State, like in Alabama, that kind of a thing. He, he's going to have to leave for something that's a a true blue blood program. Um I don't think he's leaving for Nebraska. They're not a blue blood program anymore. Don't don't let them know that. Yeah, well, they they should know that <laughs> just based off the past decade. But they they're irrational fan base. 
doesn't believe it. So we will have a great game in store Monday night. I think it'll go a lot better than last year's Georgia TCU debacle. I'm I'm fine with whoever wins. I'll just be cheering for Michigan. But I think outside of Oregon Duck fans, the rest of the country is probably on the Husky side. For sure. Well, in the professional football scene here to pivot quickly, you know, look at the final week of the regular season and believe it or not, there are still 21 teams eligible for the playoffs. You have 12 in the NFC and nine over in the AFC. We're going to look ahead here to the final week, give some of our predictions here. Starting with the NFC, San Francisco has locked in that one seed and winning the NFC West. Dallas, by virtue of... Four officiating the two right now over Detroit with a three. We can get into that if we want to. Uh, the four right now, Tampa Bay is holding the uh, NFC South, but the Saints and Atlanta are both still alive. Philly with the five, the Rams with the six, and somehow your Packers are in there at seven. Seattle, New Orleans are in there, eight and eight as well. So big race for that seven spot plus the NFC South. Um, Atlanta at seven and nine still has a shot. So you have 12 teams and two spots still on the line. Yeah, there's teams that are eligible in name only, like the Falcons. They need a slew of crazy things to happen. Um, it and the Packers control their own destiny. So for them, it's win and win against the Bears and Lambeau and in. Uh, the Rams are in because the Niners are resting starters. Um, the Lions don't really have a lot to play for. There's like a less than one percent chance that they could get the two seed. Um, because the Cowboys are going to beat up on the Commanders. So there's not a lot of games that matter So this weekend, so it's it's hard to talk about the games this weekend. I think there's a lot more parity in the AFC as opposed to the NFC, because I think the top six, probably maybe the NFC South champion, because the NFC South is going to get one team in. Um, but the Bucks are playing the Panthers and they just need to beat the Panthers to make it in. Um, and Green Bay just needs to beat the Bears. So I really think the top seven are probably more set in the NFC. Top six for sure. Uh, and I feel pretty good about the Packers who have just completely owned the Bears over the past decade. The Bears are probably thinking about draft position a little bit. Maybe wanting to play a spoiler, but probably more thinking about draft position a little bit. Um, so I, I really think the top seven in the NFC, I think the AFC is probably where we should focus most of our time because we have a big game between Miami and Buffalo. That's a division winning game. Um, you've got the Texans Colts, which is basically winning you're in. Um, the Jags are most likely in. They're playing the Titans who are thinking about next year already. Uh, those are really the games that, that mean a lot. Uh, the Steelers have a game against the Ravens, who are sitting everybody, so the Steelers are likely going to win. There's just there's a lot of, of different scenarios, a lot more scenarios in the AFC than the NFC. And it's, it's weird to me that Buffalo looks like they could be the best team. They've been scary the last couple of weeks, and really since Thanksgiving they've turned it on. But they lose to Miami. They could be on the outside looking in, depending on how this falls. They could end 10-7. and seven. But like you mentioned, the winner of Indy Houston. You got Pittsburgh still has a shot to get in there. So there's just so much going on. And it's 
I don't know if it says more about Jacksonville or how good Indy and Houston have played that they still have a shot to win the AFC South. I would think Jacksonville should be confident in beating Tennessee, but it's far more wide open than I would have expected in the AFC. And somehow Cleveland has clinched a spot and is 11 and five. I do think they will lose to Cincinnati and that may hurt their, I think, not sure you may have this better than I do. If Cleveland loses and Buffalo wins and Buffalo get the five over Cleveland. Uh, no, Cleveland is, is locked into the five. So Cleveland's resting starters. Basically that since the Cleveland game is absolutely meaningless. <laughs> so there's just a lot of meaningless games going on in, here in week 18 of the NFL. So we've got Baltimore is locked into the one at 13 and three. They will play Pittsburgh. You, you know, Baltimore is going to, they really don't want to help the Steelers at all. So I don't think they'll rest a whole lot of guys. But the Steelers need that one to even have a shot at the postseason. They're still alive. They're resting Lamar, They're, if that tells you anything. Who, who do we have? Tyler Huntley? Is he the backup nowadays? Ty- yeah, Tyler Huntley is the backup for the Ravens. And I would imagine they don't risk it with a lot of other starters. I know it's a divisional rival, but I don't see them risking it um, at all. So it's really, again, like I said, there's... The Chiefs are locked into where they're at. The Cleveland's locked into the five. Really, the only things you got going on are the are uh, the two seed, which would be the Bills if they win, and Miami would drop to the six if they lose. Um, and then you've got Pittsburgh fighting it out. You've got the Colts, Texans, Jaguars thing, which is maybe a little bit convoluted but basically if the Jags beat the Titans they win the division they're at the four and then winner Colts Texans slides into that seven spot Sometimes. so the Steelers could conceivably go 10 and 7 and miss the playoffs yikes that's gotta hurt and we've still we've extended we've made the playoffs bigger and we're still leaving teams out like yeah in the AFC we're leaving teams out there's going to be a lot of winning teams, but in the NFC, unfortunately, it's like we're struggling to find teams that should be in. Uh, we'll have Green Bay sliding in at nine eight, but nine and eight probably. But there's there is a wild, wacky scenario where two eight and nine teams make it in the NFC, but it's pretty far out there. So, and talked about Buffalo Miami. I do, and that's the Sunday night game. That's far and away the biggest game this week. And the winner of that goes to the two. And if I have the choice of being at home against Indy, Houston, or Pittsburgh, or I'm the six and I have to go to Kansas City, um, they're the Chiefs. They've been struggling. We know about the Travis Kelsey issues. We know they don't have wide receivers, but it's still Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid at home in the postseason. So I would. It's crazy that you can go from the six to the two based on one game, but I am selling out to not have to deal with the Chiefs in the first round. I. I don't feel the same. I I kind of said this. I think I said this a couple weeks ago when we got on here, but Chiefs and the Eagles, I'm rather convinced if you could make a wager that neither one of those teams wins a playoff game, I would do it. I If I'm Miami or the Bills or whomever ends up getting that sixth spot and I have to play the Chiefs, I am not at all scared with the way they look right now. I know the history. I know Mahomes. 
Kelsey, Andy Reid, maybe they'll figure it out. But, man, they've looked bad for not just one week or two weeks or three weeks, but eight, nine weeks in a row. That's half a season that they have not looked like themselves at all. So I'm not really concerned, especially if I'm Miami. I feel like I'd have the firepower, more than enough firepower to win that game in Kansas City and and take down the Chiefs. So we know Baltimore, we'll put a bow on this with your projected seeds. We know Baltimore's got the one. What is in your crystal ball? What's the two through seven? Um, I will go ahead and take the Bills to win the game against Miami. Um, I think Miami has the Waddle injury and they're going to kind of be careful with him because they'd rather have Waddle healthy for the playoffs. Tyreek got a little bit banged up this week against the Ravens, and they got the doors blown off of them. I don't think Miami particularly fears Kansas City, and they shouldn't. I know they'll want to win the division, and it's at home, so I won't be surprised if Miami wins. Uh, but I think the Bills will be especially motivated for this game, although they looked like a, a disaster against the Patriots. So I've got the Bills in that two seed, and then I've got KC. They're locked into the third. And then it's the winner of the AFC South, which I'm going to predict that the Jaguars are, are able to take down the Titans, who we're thinking about next year, I believe. Uh, then the five seed is Cleveland. The six seed is Miami. And then I've got the Texans beating out the Colts. And that will put the Texans in at the seven seed. I... I so badly want to jump on this Dolphins bandwagon. Someone sometimes they look so good, and then to be pounded by the Ravens, I'm far more trepidatious. Um, so I'll go, I'll go with you. Ravens won. I think the Bills will jump into that two seed. They've been scary good. Chiefs we said are locked into three. Jags four. Browns five. Miami at the six, and then I'll take I'll take Indy to hang on. I like the defense. I'm a Gardner Minshew fan. Um, I think whoever's in that game is lining up to get destroyed in the first round. But I'll I'll take the Colts there just to get us some variety. Yeah, I don't I don't want to I don't want to see Gardner Minshew. I want to see C.J. Stroud in the playoffs. So give give me that. Uh, and then for some quick awards here with one week left, I feel like MVP is Lamar Jackson's to lose. I'm still on the Dak or Tua hype train. Brock Purdy's chances seem to have gone down. Tyreek Hill's in there. Christian McCaffrey is in there. I know we've got one le- one week to change all this, but. Who's your MVP? Yeah, it's it's going to be Lamar Jackson, and I think if you wanted if you wanted to consider a non quarterback, this is probably the year to do it. I think Christian McCaffrey is clearly the most valuable player on the Niners roster. Uh, Twenty plus touchdowns. They just look like a different team when he's out there and they're humming right along. Uh, CMC and Debo, but I think CMC would have a good case and honestly I think CD Lamb would have a really good case. He's had an amazing season. He might actually have the best wide receiver season. I know you'll probably say Tyreek Hill, but uh, that CD Lamb performance against Detroit, I know all the controversy at the end. His performance against Detroit was absolutely sensational. It looks like if they had maybe kept throwing to him, he could have gone for like 300 yards in one game. Uh, but he looks unstoppable, C.D. Lamb does. So Cowboys have done it again. They found an elite franchise wide receiver yet again. So 
I I really like those as other options, but I think Lamar is probably going to win it. Yeah, those two, looking at the receiver stats, those two have really pulled away. Uh, Mike Evans has touchdowns in there, but those two, second and third in touchdowns, Tyreek with a slight advantage. Uh, Tyreek with a slight advantage in yards, but CeeDee Lamb does have a few more catches, so it's it's 1A and 1B with those two right now for best receiver of the year. Uh, oh, and we'll can dig into this when we have more time in the future, but where's any ideas on where Russell Wilson will play next year? If you had to make a pick. Um, that's a great question. Um, I'm, like I'm trying I'm thinking to thinking about teams who need a quarterback who might have the room. Raiders, Saints, Giants, Bucks, uh, Falcons, Vikings. Commander. There we go. Atlanta. That seems to be kind of the leading candidate everybody's leaning towards. Yeah. I don't know why, but I just have a strange feeling that Russell Wilson's going to end up in Atlanta. Steelers or Patriots. Yeah. I, yeah those, those are the ones that me to stand out that might be interested. I think Atlanta is definitely looking for somebody. And I don't know if they want to go back to the draft yet again. That could be... Tim, they could be willing to shoot their shot with a new coach and Russell Wilson. Yeah, um, depending on, well, depending on how some things shake out with the last week, that might kind of inform our decisions, right? Depends on who is where in the draft order. Do we think Caleb Williams and Drake May are going to go in the top three? That really just kind of throws a wrench into everything. But like Atlanta... Is probably out of the range. They're def- definitely out of the range to where they would be drafting a quarterback in the first round. So I think like Atlanta or the Giants are probably the two most likely candidates. All right. Uh, do you want to fire some coaches? Yeah, let's do it. So we know the Panthers and the Chargers and the Raiders are all going to be coach shopping this year. Uh, who's my first one? Matt Eberflus, Chicago Bears. Uh, they're already talking about extending him, actually. They like the team is rallying around him. Eberflus is not going to get fired. He's actually going to get extended. Interesting. Dennis Allen, New Orleans Saints. Uh, no, probably not. One more year. He's probably on the list for first coach fired next season, though. Robert Sala, New York Jets. They're committed to him. I don't know why, but they are. Arthur Smith, Atlanta Falcons. Fired. Ron Rivera, Washington, whatever their team will be next year. Fired. Um, I think those may be the only ones, unless you think of somebody I'm missing. I'm looking back here. G- Gannon? Is Gannon the candidate? I think, the, I think you have to give him his second year. You, you're dealing with the difficult personality that is Kyler Murray and his giant contract. So I feel like Gannon's kind of got his hands tied. He can only do so much with that team. Uh, There's another name out there uh, that we haven't talked about. Um, The biggest one. Yeah. The biggest one, Bill Belichick. I just, I'm trying. I I think they, I think they keep him as a coach. I think they want him to be a Patriot and set the coaching record as a Patriots coach. I think they take away the GM responsibilities and keep him as a coach at least one more year. That would make the most sense. 
if for some reason Bill Belichick does not want to give up the GM responsibilities, I don't think the Patriots would hesitate to trade him. Hmm. We've had this happen before where you trade your coach. I don't know if they could get a first-round pick for Bill Belichick. Probably not. I think you're silly if you give up a first-round pick for Bill Belichick. But one of these teams that's going to be looking for uh, a head coach. I mean, if you could just you could just see Bill Belichick leading the Chargers out there next year. I I think so. I'm not sure um, if the Chargers would want to give him GM responsibility too, but. That is like the least desirable quality that Bill Belichick has is his quality as a GM, which is someone else should be doing the drafting. So, yeah, I think the Patriots would be wise to keep him as a coach, remove the GM tag, and move forward. I've I've only got five teams looking for new coaches, and I think that seven is the magic number. Typically, there's seven every offseason. So I feel like I'm missing a couple, but I've got... Got five right now. I think the Raiders should keep Antonio Pierce, and I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be the Chargers coach next year. And I'll figure out the rest after Black Monday when we know it's for sure available. I don't think the Raiders should keep Antonio Pierce. The guy seemed to uh, keep it. Yeah, but keeping an interim coach, tell me the last time that that's worked out well. I, I honestly can't think of one. Um, because yeah. it usually, it doesn't typically work out well. So I know that guys love him and he may get his shot as a head coach someday, but I, I think you would be doing a disservice if you didn't look outside of that. Uh, we know how you feel about him, but is there any chance the Cowboys fight with part with Mike McCarthy? Like if they lose in the first, there's, game? there's the big one. <laughs> if, if the Cowboys whom I project will have the two seed. I don't know if we've gotten to the NFC projections. And I project Green Bay has the seven seed. If Green Bay walks into Dallas and beats Dallas, which we've seen before, which imagine that storyline, McCarthy getting beat by his old team. Uh, but yeah, a playoff gaffe from Mike McCarthy, which we've seen before. Uh, Jerry Jones does not have a lot of patience and that might be a sneaky Bill Belichick destination. Interesting. I would... Yeah. If McCarthy is somehow outed after this season because of some sort of a gaffe, because I think, I think whether it's realistic or not, the expectations from Jerry Jones and the Cowboys ownership is win the Super Bowl with the team that they've got. Hmm. And I, I understand that. It's probably not a realistic expectation because I don't think they're getting through San Francisco or maybe even Detroit if it comes to playing Detroit again. Um, so I don't know. I could see Bill Belichick as the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. It's not that far fetched. <laughs> Belichick and Jerry Jones in the same war room. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like an odd pairing, but. I don't think Bill Belichick would have a lot of say in the decisions, and that might be a good thing for Belichick. Uh, uh, the I I know it's it's not talking. This guy has one of the safest jobs in the league, 
but I've been watching the in-season hard knocks for the first time with the Dolphins, and I really like it a little bit more than the off-season one. Mike McDaniel just fascinates me as a coach because he does not look like a football coach. Ron Rivera, Kevin Stefanski, Mike McDaniel. That's what, to me, that's like what football coaches look like. And then just Mike McDaniel looks like the, the skinniest, nerdiest guy, and then he's this football genius. Yeah, Mike McDaniel would be me if I were a football coach. <laughs> that's exactly what he looks like. Just a regular, everyday guy. He he bars a striking resemblance to uh, the comedian Nick Kroll. If you remember oh, the nice. show The League, yeah. he looks very much like uh, like uh, Nick Kroll. If you uh, put them side by side, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart, I don't think. They even talk the same. It's kind of weird. I'm wondering if they're related. But like you said, he's a great coach. I love him. Everybody loves him. Um, oh, one one other piece here on the coaches fired before we move on. Yeah. There is a chance if Green Bay were to lose the game to the Bears that Matt LaFleur is shown the door. There's a chance. I was going to ask about him, but it seems like he's I don't already... think it would be a good move necessarily because I like Matt LaFleur, but his insistence upon keeping Joe Barry as the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers might be his undoing if Green Bay loses that game on, on Sunday. Yeah, it seems like it seems like the Packers are not a team that makes rash moves who are just going to quick jump from coach to coach. No, they're not. And but I would understand that move if he is completely insistent on keeping Joe Barry or they could say the Packers GM could go to him and say, "We'll give you another year, but you got to find a new defensive coordinator." I'm sorry, Joe Barry's not working out because he's not Uh, I'll, I'll give LaFleur one more year and then we'll start to worry. Yeah, I don't think there's anything to worry about beyond kind of the defensive gaffes that we've seen, and I don't think it's all on him. Speaking of, and I don't think we ever actually totally finished the NFC, but to put a bow on the NFL talk in our playoffs, the Niners are locked into the one, so I think you've got them as the one. Dallas two, Detroit three. I do have the Saints taking that four spot, but that's that's my big prediction is Carolina is somehow going to stun Tampa Bay. Eagles five, the Rams are in at the six, and then I've got that seven spot going to Seattle. I, the quarterback situation worries me with the Seahawks, but they're playing Arizona. Kenneth Walker seems to be all right. They've got those receivers, plus Bobby Wagner on defense. And the upset of the season, the Bears are going to take down your Packers, so... Between Packers loss, Seattle win, I've got them at the seven, and the Saints taking the four seed. Um, for my sake, I hope that doesn't happen because we don't need to see Geno Smith in the playoffs. Just do not need it. Um, rather see Jordan Love, who is looking really, really good, um, looking like another franchise quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, so they nailed that pick yet again. Um yeah, I'd, I'd rather see Jordan Love doing his thing in Dallas, and that would be a game that would feature a lot of points, I I think, actually. Also, the storylines of the Packers versus McCarthy, uh, the Rams versus Detroit, I think that's just too much for the NFL to pass up here. You, 
best part of the NFL season is still to come with this pivotal week 18, 21 teams technically still alive for a postseason bid. We'll see who those final 14 are and what our first round of the playoffs looks like. We'll have all that for now. We're going to switch over to NBA and see where we're at. Uh, as I often talk about, NBA kind of starts from here on Christmas time. We're a third of the way into the year, and people like Andrew have been keeping us informed on what's been going on. And I don't think I asked you this before. Does having the NFL on Christmas Day impact your NBA watching, or are you still NBA sun up to sundown on Christmas? Hey, I uh, tuned into a little bit more NFL this year, specifically at night. Um, kind of the night, the afternoon slate for the NBA is what I really locked into. I think we had Lakers Celtics, uh, then we had Nuggets Warriors back to back, and those were kind of the two that I watched sort of tip off to end because the football games in between there weren't really that exciting. Uh, but Ravens Niners had to watch all of Ravens Niners. So the short answer, yeah, it does impact my NBA watching, but I do plenty of NBA watching throughout the week. So it's not like I, I don't feel like I'm missing out on, on a whole lot. We'll let Andrew take us more in depth here, but to start this off, looking at the seating or standings right now, not a whole lot of change from last week. The Celtics still holding court in the East, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, right in there as we expect. Our beloved Magic have kind of stumbled since we talked last week, three and seven in their last 10. But look who's won four in a row with the best guard in the league, the Indiana Pacers. Those are your top six right now. And then Knicks, Nets, Cavs, and the Bulls, because we let so many teams into the postseason right now. Uh, and uh, don't call it a comeback. The Pistons won, I think, like the day after we talked. The Pistons broke th- broke the streak, did not set the record. So congratulations, Detroit. You're now 3-30. and 30. Well, no, they did set the record. They they lost twenty eight games in a row. I thought they tied and they had to have one more to set it. No, they they lost twenty eight games in a row, man. Nah, well you're in the record books, Pistons. All right. Uh, also, I I heard you slyly try to slide in that Tyrese Halliburton's the best guard <laughs> in the league. Um, he's the darling of the NBA this year. He's good. Uh, he's not the best guard in the league. That's one, Mister Luka Doncic. So, um. And then it depends on really who you define as a guard from there. There's there's a few guys ahead of him. Uh, we'll just say that. SGA being one as well. Uh, but yeah, the Eastern Conference, like you said, not a lot in the standings have changed. There was a big trade. The Knicks traded for Ananobi. I feel like that's a good trade for them. Uh, it probably worked out a little bit for Toronto, too. They kind of had a glutton of these 3 and D wings, but maybe not so many guards. So they got RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly as well. Um, so they're able to kind of fill their roster with a few more guards to put around Scotty Barnes. I think they're probably going to move on from Siakam too. That's kind of what this signals for the Raptors is they're kind of going to build the team around Scotty Barnes, I think, as sort of the main piece and move everybody on from that. They already moved on from Van Vliet. They moved on from Ananobi. Now they're going to move on from Siakam, I predict, at some point, probably by the trade deadline. Uh, and the Knicks, they've kind of cashed in some of their chips. Or they're probably going to extend Ananobi, and I wonder if they have another 
deal to make. Maybe this signals that they're going to try and go in on the Donovan Mitchell thing. I don't really know what the – that's really the big shakeup in the Eastern Conference, but I don't really think that this moves the Knicks into contention or anything crazy like that. It just gives them a solid shooter to pair with Brunson and Randall, who are – they can shoot, but they're, it's not their best quality. They needed some more shooting on the wings and some good defense on the wings, and that's what Ananobi gives them. From the, and kind of hit on it there, from the Knicks side of thing, is this a bit of a one-for-one, one though? Is, I kind of thought R.J. Barrett was filling a lot of those needs for them. No, um, teams didn't really respect R.J. Barrett's outside shot at all. Uh, Manuel quickly of the two guards, was probably the better shooter, a little bit of a playmaker off the bench, too. I, I don't think, uh, I think they definitely upgraded by moving on from Barrett to Ananobi. Uh, the one thing that did die, sadly, though, is that all left-handed lineup that the Knicks were employing at one point in time. I'm trying to pull up the Knicks roster here. Try to reef get a bit. Oh, Dante Dante DiVincenzo, good for him. Mm-hmm. Yep, DiVincenzo becomes a little bit bigger part of the rotation. They're probably going to play Hart where they were playing Barrett. So their closing lineup is probably going to look something like, um. Yeah, give me one second to pull up their roster. But it's going to be Brunson, Randall, Ananobi, Hart, and then either Hartenstein or Precious Achua, who they got as well. Um, Precious Achua is going to drive Tom Thibodeau crazy, probably. Uh, They could even play Randall's small ball five and bring in DiVincenzo. Malachi Flynn was part of the deal, so maybe he's just a little bit of bench depth. But they lost Mitchell Robinson, um, and now they can play Hartenstein and Achua rather than having to roll 38-year-old Taj Gibson out there as backup center. So that's really what this does for the Knicks. That's what concerns me about this. I Maybe I'm too much of a Mitchell Robinson fan. I just look at their size, and I'm not sure where... The strength is, and I don't, yes, you want your team to compete and make moves, but does this make them any better than maybe the fifth best team in the East? I'd still, I still don't see how they compete with Boston, Milwaukee, or Philly in the long run. Yeah, I don't think it's about this year for the Knicks. I think you get Ananobi in the fold, you get him integrated into the system, and then the real moves for the Knicks are after this season. So I think they're maybe done for this year. I think they're just going to play out the string with Brunson, Randall, Ananobi, probably realizing that that's not good enough for uh, a championship, but then make a serious run in the, in the off season at some sort of disgruntled star. If any disgruntled star becomes available, we've all, we've seen that a plenty of times where someone's disgruntled, and they'll they'll find a way to make the room in order to either sign someone in free agency like they did with Brunson or they'll find the assets in order to trade for someone that they compare with Brunson and Ananobi. I, I think really Randall doesn't have a long-term future with the Knicks. He'll probably be there through this season, 
but I don't think he has a long-term future with them. I think they're going to move on from Randall after this season. Are they? So you are uh, very staunchly in the move Donovan Mitchell camp. Are the Knicks in the Donovan Mitchell trade conversation? They're in it, but I don't think they're the leading contenders. I think the the leading contenders for the Donovan Mitchell trade sweepstakes are Miami and Brooklyn. I think those are the two Donovan Mitchell landing spots, and I think Brooklyn, of those two, has the best assets to give back to the Cavs. Yeah, I, Of those two, I agree with you. That makes more sense. I'm trying to picture Donovan Mitchell in that hustle-and-go Grind it out Miami style. Yeah, a Donovan Mitchell, Butler, Bam lineup is ideally what Miami would like to put it, put up, but I don't know if I don't know if Cleveland's going to accept something like what Miami was offering for Dame for Donovan Mitchell. Right. I, I just don't see Cleveland accepting that as a, as a package. Now they might. Because I think Cleveland could move on from both Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen, which I think it would make sense for them to move on from both of those guys and develop a Garland Mobley roster. They need to develop something because they are fading here to the middle of the pack in the East. I know there's only about a game between fourth and eighth right now. Just Cleveland doesn't feel like they have that special chemistry right now to get to that top right. two. Right. And again, they're going to have to think more long term because they could, you know, they could see Jared Allen and Donovan Mitchell move on um, for not a lot if they don't move them around this offseason or possibly at the trade deadline. Take a quick spin over here to the West and a team that we used to like to talk about being in trade conversations, but maybe they finally figured it out. Timberwolves still at the top with. The Ant-Man, Cat, and Rudy Gobert. Our beloved Thunder at second. The Nuggets, like you expect, at third. The Clippers haven't fallen apart yet. Andrew's Beam team at five. And the Pelicans doing some good things. Winners of three in a row, seven and three in their last ten, have gone up to the sixth. Uh, Andrew's also beloved Luka and the Mavericks down at seven. The teams we talked about last week, uh, Phoenix falling apart. Lakers are old. Golden State's falling apart. Houston is somehow winning games. Uh, I don't really know what surprises me about the West. You know, the the Grizzlies kind of got hot when Ja came back. Seems like they've cooled a little bit. I think to the average fan, Golden State being terrible is maybe the only surprising thing. But when you look at this, the West, you know, maybe expect a little bit more out of the Suns. But otherwise, teams seem to be kind of where we thought they'd be. Golden State is struggling. Phoenix is struggling. And Kevin Durant is unhappy. Surprise. I just where where, um, where does he want to be? What does Kevin Durant want? After all, I don't. He's been and everything he's wanted. What he goes to these super teams and then feels like he's mad that he's not the star. I don't know. Right, and that's the thing is he wants to be able to win championships on his own with him as the guy. Well, his chance to do that was in OKC with Westbrook and a Harden. Unfortunately. OKC picked a Bach over Harden. We don't need to go back to that. Um, but, you know, and then moving on to Golden State, he realized, I can't win in this scenario because this is Steph's team. People are always going to see me as a part of Steph's team, even though we could win a lot of championships. 
I'm going to move on from that. Um, yeah, I don't really know what his end goal is for him, but, but let's talk about the good. Um, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they are, they are real contenders now. So are the Wolves. Um, I think the Thunder can make one move to solidify themselves a little bit more. And that's if they traded a package surrounding Josh Giddy for Jared Allen. I think the Cavs want to move on from Jared Allen and the Thunder may want to move on from Josh Giddy. We won't get into <laughs> all of that stuff, but it might be a good move because they really do have a big three now. They have SGA as kind of their alpha. Then they've got Chet and then Jalen Williams. And that's really their big three that they can build around. But you need sort of maybe a, a defensive center, someone who can take on the bigger guys, like uh, like Jokic, if you're going to play Jokic in a playoff series, or if you end up facing down Anthony Davis in a playoff series, or Gobert, or Towns. You need someone who can take that on, that challenge on defensively. And uh, they'd be well-equipped to do that if they moved Giddy for Allen, and then they had Allen and Chet. Um to sort of combat those those Lakers bigs and then even further beyond that, think about a potential Western Conference semis against uh, a Nuggets team because that's the way it's lining up right now. They're the two, the Nuggets are the three that could flip-flop. You know, you could take on Sabonis as well and you want someone to be able to deal with Sabonis. Um, I, I think that'd be the move that if they made a move like that, that would, to me, signal the Thunder are all in on this team and they have a chance. Um, I love the way the Wolves look. Anthony Edwards is an alpha. So beyond the Nuggets, I really do think, I don't think this is a mirage with the Wolves and the Thunder. We're 30-plus games into the season, almost halfway. It's a little bit too much of a sample size to say that this is a mirage. And the Thunder played the Celtics yesterday, or last night, and they handled the Celtics, who look like the best team in the Eastern Conference. It was an incredible game, but they were ultimately able to close out a game against the Celtics. And it wasn't just, like, it was the Celtics at full strength. They had Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, Holiday, Derek White, their entire roster. And the Thunder were able to go toe-to-toe with them, no problem. So I really... I'm really high on the Thunder, the Wolves. I think the Nuggets are going to figure things out, too. They maybe hit a little bit of a rough patch, but not by their standards. I don't know. I feel I feel good about those three teams in the Western Conference. So if we finish this sentence, the best team in the NBA after approximately 34 games is? Boston Celtics. Feels like their road would be a little bit easier. I'm I'm still gonna go with I like the Bucks, but again, Philadelphia doesn't scare me as much as I love the Magic and the Pacers. I don't see it. Miami's Miami. That the West just feels so much deeper. At least I think you can go five or six deep depending on how these rosters shake up. But looking at it, that West could get brutal. Yeah, clear top three in the East. Um, fourth is Miami. Um, Philly, Philly does scare me just because Embiid's got 
man, he's the best center we've seen since Kareem. I've heard a lot of people say this, but he's the best, absolutely the best center we've seen in the NBA since Kareem. You're saying this about Embiid? Yeah, Embiid. Uh, There's a Serbian gentleman who would like to have a word with you. Uh, Jokic or Shaq or your other arguments. And I understand the arguments. But, I mean, from a best, from a scoring perspective, I guess I should say. From a pure scoring perspective, Embiid is the best. He's got the complete package of moves, the outside jumper. Uh, he's not a liability at all. In fact, he shoots almost 90% from the free throw line. Uh, he's just dominant on offense in every way. I, I understand Jokic, he's best all around, but Embiid is probably the best scoring big man that we've ever seen since Kareem. Uh, similar in that vein, I was pulling up some stats and the I was trying to think of who are the five best players in the league this year, and I got down to six names, and I'm trying to figure out who to leave out. So pulling up pro basketball reference and all their advanced metrics, plus just general stuff we like, points and assists and rebounds, I came down to Embiid, SGA, The Joker, Giannis, Luka, and De'Aaron Fox. So unless there's somebody I'm missing or who should be left out, who are the top five players just in this year? Jokic, Embiid, Luka are three easy ones. SGA, I think, is... Yep, based off the way he's playing. Uh, Giannis, I think you're right there with Giannis. Um, I think those are the top five. Sorry. On that next... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, De'Aaron Fox. Oh, no, I love De'Aaron Fox, but he's not quite in that conversation. Um, But he's right on that next tier down. So, De'Aaron Fox... Uh, your guy, Hal Burton, Jason Tatum. That's probably the way Anthony Davis has played, and he's played a lot of games. He's probably in my top 10. And then let me think about this. Yeah, I mean, that's there's my nine. I'm trying to think about my 10th. I think, I think I'd have to give it to Edwards. I have to put Anthony Edwards in my top 10 with the way he's playing this year. So I think it might be a surprise, but yeah, SGA is, has had a, a monster season and is deserving of that top five love. I think it'll be interesting to look when the all NBA teams come out or all stars. When you look at the Western conference alone, SGA, Luca Booker, Anthony Edwards, the, the guards in the West are absurd. In the East, it, yes, there's plenty with Dame and Halliburton and those guys, but the West just feels like all the contenders have stud guards. And like Jamal Murray is like 10th on that list, and he's all-star in his own right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of talent in the NBA. I mean, I feel like there's more talent than we've ever had. Um. Random side note, I have not heard a single Kyrie headline this year. What's going on? Is this why Dallas isn't doing well? We're not hearing anything about Kyrie. We won't hear anything about Kyrie until the trade deadline gets closer. And that's that? when you'll start to hear the whispers of uh, 
D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie Irving trade package. Ah, yes. And the Lakers and need something. The Lakers will need something. And LeBron will be upset if the Lakers don't do something. Get ready for the LeBron is upset in L.A. story. I, I, I'm no, I don't have any inside sources or anything, but it's going to be coming. I, I just have a feeling LeBron is just going to pull that I'm upset. I don't like the direction of the team. And that's when they're going to make a move like D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie or D'Angelo Russell for Gasp Draymond Green. That kind of a move is, is going Draymond, to get made by the Lakers. Is Draymond still suspended? Yeah, he is. And uh, he got like 30-some games or like an indefinite since suspension. So we'll see if he comes back. But even if he does, I think the Warriors try to move on. So, would you like to talk a little bit of college basketball or play our trivia game that is NBA-centric? Let's play a little trivia game that is NBA-centric. So this is a game that we created a while ago, and I busted out from time to time. Haven't done it in a while here. But it is called Whose Career Is It? I will name the NBA teams these guys played for and the years, and we'll see if Andrew can guess. These are all... Relatively well-known people. We don't go too deep into the bench and try to guess the 12th man from the 1991 Rockets. So these are all people from the last 20 years in the NBA. Pretty well-known. So first one here, 2006. And so 2006 to 2008 with Charlotte. And then in 2008, went to the Lakers and played for the Lakers from 2008 to 2010. Basically, two seasons with Charlotte, two seasons with the Lakers. 2006 to 2010. Oh, is this Adam Morrison? It is Adam Morrison. I was wondering. <laughs> that I will say that's the deepest poll we went with. Okay. The college phenom, Adam Morrison. The shortness of the career in Charlotte, which would have been the Bob... I had to think. It was the Bobcats at that time. Yes. And that's what gave it away. So we've got 2005 to 2010 with Utah and then got traded in 2010 to New Jersey slash Brooklyn, played with them until 2015. 2015 went to Dallas and then in 2016 went from Dallas to Cleveland. Darren Williams. Darren Williams. There we go. Aren't you like famously not a Darren Williams fan? I don't think so. He's one that I thought was like a stud, and then people have come out and been like, ah, oh, Darren Williams wasn't that great, but he was like a four-time All-Star. No, I actually kind of liked Darren Williams. I should. He was a concurrent. A lot of his Utah time was concurrent with uh, Kyle Corver's time in Utah. I still remember that Illinois team. I loved that Illinois team they had together. They were great. Uh, that's one of the most underrated and underappreciated college basketball teams. And why the why is because they got beat out by a North Carolina team with Raymond Felton, Sean May, and Rashad McCants. And like the guy coming off the bench was the number three draft pick or something crazy. Marvin Marvin Williams, he was the sixth man. Crazy. Yep, I remember that game. I was I was rooting hard for Illinois because they um D Brown, Darren Williams, uh who were both first round draft picks, Luther Head. 
And uh, man, I could go deep. I, James Augustine, I think. Oh, I'd have to look he, at that he, team. He was the real tall, long guy. Yeah. Yep. They were uh, phenomenal. They were absolutely phenomenal. So. And our last guy here before we go over to the college game. This is going to be where in the world with Carmen San Diego on this one. So you've got 2013 to 15 with Brooklyn, 2015 to 16 with Portland. In the 16 17 season, got traded from Portland to Denver until 2020. And then in 2020, went to Detroit. And then in 2022, or sorry, 21 22, went to Charlotte. And then in 2023, got traded from Charlotte to the Clippers. So we had a couple years with Brooklyn, Portland, Denver for the longest stretch, Charlotte and the Clippers from 2013 till present day. Clippers until present day? Here's to be playing for the Clippers, but sparingly this year. Ooh. Oh, well, it would be cheating if I went and looked at the Clippers roster, so I can't do that. Let's see. Brooklyn. Okay, give me that one more time. Brooklyn to what team? So we had Brooklyn from 13 to 15, and then in 15, spent a year with Portland. And then in the 2016-17 year, got traded from Portland to Denver, was with Denver for four years, and then in 2020, went to Detroit for a year. 2021, a year with Charlotte, and then 2022, went to the Clippers. Denver for four years, now he's with the Clippers. Oh, man. Oh, buddy. Is this... No, it's not Norman Powell. Uh, Man... You might have me stumped on this one. It's it's a bit of a trick question. He was he was an all rookie team in 2013. What if I tell you he was literally and figuratively part of a big basketball family? Literally and figuratively part of a big basketball family. Why am I blanking on who this guy is? Drafted first round by the Nets in 2013, 22nd overall pick. Man, I don't know. I'm blanking hard. It's, it, it is a tricky one with all the player movement, but it feels like a guy who's on a new team every year for a reason. Apparently, according to Basketball Reference, his nickname is Plum Dog Millionaire. Oh, Plumley! But which one? Mason. Mason Plumley. I think the other two brothers were in the league, but maybe not quite as long. Yeah, definitely not quite as long. Kind of a quintessential eight points, four rebounds throughout his entire career guy. And like four assists, too. Four or five assists. Yeah, Marshall only had two years, it looks like, and Miles. Yeah. No, Miles had a good eight-year run. Yeah. Mar- Mason Plumley is one of the better passing big men, if you didn't know that. There's some highlights you can find out there of uh, Mason Plumley making some decent passes. Nice. Well, that's one of the few times on the show I think we've ever talked about Mason Plumley. Maybe one of the last. <laughs> well, if I admit to not paying attention to NBA, I spend even less time to, uh, paying attention to college basketball at this point in the season. Uh, just quick here, pulling up the AP Top 25, not a whole lot of surprises from what I'm seeing. 
Purdue came in as one of the top teams. They're still number one. Kansas right there at number two. Houston may be a bit of a surprise at number three. They are undefeated. I thought people kind of thought the shine was off Houston. UConn four, Tennessee five, Kentucky six, Marquette seven, North Carolina eight, maybe a bit of a surprise, Illinois nine, and Arizona 10. So again, I'll, I'll start paying attention to college basketball here in the new year, but this is more Andrew's forte right now. Yeah, um, Purdue's looked every bit the number one team. Um, I've told myself I'm not going to fall for the Purdue trap, but man, do they look good. Um, UConn, they look like a team that could have a chance at repeating. And yeah, Houston, it seems like they just reload. I really like this Marquette team as well. Um, The Illinois team, they took a hit, unfortunately, with their top player being accused of some off-the-court stuff. Um, We don't know anything more about it, but he's off the team for right now, away from the team for right now. So they might start dropping. You never know. Um, But I really think it's uh, the story of, of the college basketball season are teams that are overachieving. Like you mentioned North Carolina, bit of a surprise. Then you've got like Oklahoma 12 and one, BYU 12 and one, Colorado State at number 13. Um, you've got Memphis in the top 15, Clemson at 11 and one, uh, Florida Atlantic, the last year's darlings at number 17. And they have played some, uh, competitive basketball they took a little bit of a hit um Baylor is maybe a little bit down but they're still in the top 25 James Madison is a ranked team at 13 and 0 largely because of their win against a preseason ranked Michigan State team um there's a lot of surprises early on here in the college basketball season uh Wisconsin is a team that looks really good they've had some Marquee wins, and they gave Arizona, who's one of the top 10 teams, uh, was number one for a while, but they've taken a few lumps. Um, everything that they could handle. Ole Miss is 13-0, and number 22. Auburn's in the top 25. I mean, there's, there's a lot of surprising teams in college basketball. So I can't say I've watched a ton of college basketball this year. Um, but there's a lot of shocking teams, if we shall say that. I just did a quick scroll through, and I think you hit on all of them there. There's only three undefeated teams left, and they're Houston, Ole Miss, and James Madison. And who saw that coming? Yeah, uh, and I didn't see, like, the BYU thing coming or or Oklahoma. Like, Oklahoma is probably the most surprising team to me. I thought they'd actually be bottom feeding in the big 12 once again and it it does not look that way you want all these teams to do well and you want the hot streaks to keep going but we know what happens in conference play in football and basketball you start hot early and then you fade to the pack as the competition keeps going so we'll see who can hang in there if teams like oklahoma and Ole miss and wisconsin are truly who we think they are uh i have a quick kempom question but which is the one you don't care about is it net or rpi that you think is a joke I thought there was one of these we talked R- about. R- RPI. RPI. It's no longer relevant at all. And what is your... Ken Palm is a good metric. Um, and what is your... net co- is getting exposed a little bit, but go ahead. Go ahead. What, what is your Ken Palm rule? They have to be top 20 in adjusted offense and defense? 
Yeah, top 25 in adjusted offense and defense, I believe, is typically where your national champion comes from. Well, if I, I know there's a several months of very important basketball to play, but as of right now, if you want to get your bets in early, your qualifying teams are, this is so they're ranked on adjusted offense right here, Purdue, UConn, BYU, Arizona, Illinois, Auburn, Houston, Creighton, and I believe those are those. Have, this year's champs going to be one of those eight teams, and we know you love that Creighton team. I do love that Creighton team, and uh, but I don't think so. Um, man, and Illinois just had the. Ooh, this is tough. Give me the Arizona team. If someone's going to break through from the West and win it this year, I think it's going to be that Arizona team. Hmm. I'm I'm not falling for the Purdue thing. We, Even though they've looked the part, I'm just, I can't do it. We've all been there. We've all been burned by it. Just, we'll let you know early when you fill out your brackets. Do not trust Purdue. And this will be the year Purdue wins it all, but... Um, <laughs> I'm all out on Purdue as far as the NCAA tournament goes. Now, do I think there were like a 27, 28 win team in the regular season? Yeah, probably, actually. They're probably going to be the top overall seed when everything is said and done. Right. It's just I'm not going to trust them once the brackets come out. I know I should if we're going by that rule of the Ken Palm, but none of these teams, again, I need to watch this a lot more. I just can't bring myself. I already I already talked down Arizona earlier. Not going to trust Purdue. I don't want to go with Creighton. BYU is not going to do it. We'll yeah, one team takes out in a, two months. But one team that I'm obligated to mention being in Des Moines, uh, the Drake Bulldogs. They're twelve and two. I think they're probably the best of all the mid-major teams that you will see in the NCAA tournament field this year. If they are able to make it through the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, which I feel like they will, I think they're going to win probably the Missouri Valley regular season um, quite easily. But it'll really be a matter of can they take care of business against like Indiana State. Basically, Indiana State, I think, is their main competition inside of the Missouri Valley. So... Uh, Drake is 12 and two overall. They have a loss to UAB and who else? Stephen F. Austin early in the season. Uh, the UAB loss was also on the road and they were missing a couple of their starters. Um, that's a team that I kind of sneakily like. So I know I'm a, a bit of a homer being here in Iowa, maybe for the Drake Bulldogs, but that's a team that I would. I would like if I was uh, filling out my bracket today. And on the other side of that, I'm, I'm scrolling through and mostly looking at the power conference teams, trying to see if there's maybe some teams we expect more of as we get into conference play Michigan and Michigan state jump out to me, a vast majority of the pac 12. Um, I see you, there's anybody who comes to mind for you. who Seems like we expect, especially Michigan State, I thought they were like a top 10 team. And I know Izzo loads up that early season schedule to get his guys battle tested. But those are, those are the two that stand out to me. And then especially look at USC, UCLA, Washington, like a lot of middling teams in the 
Pac-12 after non-conference play. Yeah, I, man, it really looks like Arizona is the team in uh, Pac-12 that has a chance. Um, yeah, I really like Arizona in the Pac-12, and I don't know if I like much else. As somebody who was very confident in USC early in the year, I'd like to see a little bit more, uh, a little bit response there. Like, I wish Oregon State made sense. Oregon State was amazing two years ago. I think won three games last year and is nine and four right now. Yeah, I've I've tried to stop making sense of Pac-12 basketball outside of like Arizona because it just doesn't. So the one last question here on college basketball: Michigan, Michigan State, one in, both in, neither in for the tournament. I know it's I know we're looking way in advance. Michigan State in, Michigan out. Um, quick side note: I'm just seeing this for the first time. Uh, Nebraska is eleven and two. Yeah, built up on a really poor non-conference schedule. It's uh, a lot like a a lot of other teams that have really good um records after the non-conference play. So don't ooh. don't fall for the Nebraska hype. Do not fall for any sort of Nebraska Huskers hype at all. Or really amazing coaching. Mm, it's definitely not that. So, uh, that Fred Hoiberg might be on his uh, his way out after they inevitably miss the tournament. Oh, they're already thinking. Yeah, that. look at look at these look at these teams. I mean, Lindenwood, Florida A and M, Ryder, Stony Brook, Oregon State win. Okay, Duquesne. Uh, Fullerton, they played Creighton, they lost by 29. They lost to a bad Minnesota team on the road by 11. Beat Michigan State, okay. They beat a really bad Kansas State team on the road. Uh, and then North Dakota, South South Carolina State. So, like, their key win is a home win by seven over Michigan State. Possibly, yeah. I'm not. Uh, I'm not believing in the in the Huskers this year. I'm looking up to make sure most of those schools you said are real things. <laughs> yeah, that's what you have to do with Nebraska's non-con schedule. It's a smart. It's a smart thing to build up a lot of wins, but they're going to have to do really well in conference for people to take them seriously, as they should. Is there anything else on the sports radar we need to get to? We had to make up for having some weeks off in the short weeks. We wanted to go long this week and make it up to you all out there. So, is there anything else on our schedule we need to get to? Uh, no, I think that really covers the entire gamut of everything. It was good to get dialed back in here and start 2024 off right with a big episode and cover a lot of the main topics. We'll be back next week to celebrate... Hopefully Michigan's national championship. We'll look at the NFL playoffs, give you our first round predictions, and see what else we have going on in the sports world. We thank you all for joining us. We will see you next time. Keep your stick on the ice.